Hello and welcome to the Carbohydrate Chronicles, a podcast about glycoscience and glycoscientists. In this show, via a series of interviews, we explore the world of carbohydrate science and innovation from a personal point of view. Your host today is Tamash Rahai, the member of Carbohydrate Scientific Team. In earlier episodes, we have touched the topic of psychodextrin-based drug delivery and even nanotechnology. Yet today, with our guest, Aaron Bilansoy, we are taking a deep dive. As we will hear today, psychodextrins are not only capable of solubilizing and stabilizing actives, but also in good hands, they can remove toxic molecules from the body, enhance cellular delivery, compose targeted drug delivery systems, and much more. The possibilities are truly infinite. Today, I have the great honor to welcome Aaron Bilanzoy, Professor of Pharmaceutical Technology at Assetep University, owner and CSO of BioGalanica. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a wonderful opportunity to talk about cyclodextrins and also to have a nice conversation with you. And I also appreciate Carbohyde's efforts in uh, promoting cyclodextrin activities and uh, the wonderful world of cyclodextrins worldwide. So uh, it's a great uh, pleasure for me as well. Thank you. This is really nice to hear. To introduce Aram's scientific work, her main research relates not only in the cyclodextrin field, but in pharmaceutical technology and nanoparticle-based drug delivery in general. She has authored close to 100 papers and 15 book chapters. Apart from the academic career, industry is also present in her life. Um, in 2021, you founded the company BioGalanica that I'd like to hear a lot more about. And you're also, as far as I know, the president of the European Federation of Pharmaceutical scientist EUFEPS. This seems to be a very busy life, great academic career, international position and a huge and important association, leading a private company. How do you manage all this? I think I'm good at time management. And what I usually do is I have three or four different agendas with me all the time, real notebooks that I have work lists on. I have one in the office at the faculty, another one in the office at the company, another one at home. <laughs> so I'm always <laughs> keeping lists and trying to have um, a priority order between different tasks and responsibilities. Uh, actually, I have been uh, the head of my department since the past year as well. So um, I think the more you get um, administrative uh, responsibilities, the more you're experienced in that field. So you know how to use your time well. Um, and also, of course, it's very important to have a good teamwork. So I have uh, very hardworking and very talented postdocs uh, that work with me, um, whom are very, very essential for the work, the research that I'm doing, and also all the project applications that we're doing. And I'm really happy to work with a very talented team. I think this helps a lot too. But I think most of all, the most important thing is to balance your time and also, of course, give some time to your family and to to yourself as well and i try to do that too i think that's why but sometimes of course i need a vacation and <laughs> then uh, i have to rest too I, i'm not a superhuman being 
but you seem to like things organized. Is that right? So uh, do you yeah. have a mindset like that? Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, I had a lot of experience in uh, using time badly or good. And I find that when you use your time and energy well, uh, you can actually succeed in anything you want and you can actually reach your goals and objectives. So yeah, this is what I try to do. I really like that one. And is it easy for you to prioritize among all the activities? Does it come naturally? Yeah, it's it's a very difficult actually task to do that. And it came, it became easier for me in time. Basically, when I was uh, doing my PhD or before that, when I was a student, this was very difficult for me. Uh, and then um, in time, after I became a assistant professor, I started prioritizing uh, the, the responsibilities. And also when I became a, a teaching staff and a research staff at the university, I had a lot of different administrative responsibilities as well. So I acted as vice dean of my faculty for three years. Um, I was also uh, the general manager of the technology transfer center of my university. I was in the executive board as well. So then you have to really prioritize because Either you stop with your research and uh, focus on the administrative part, which is very boring for me, <laughs> or you try to do both. And if you try to do both, you should get, number one, a lot of good help from good team members. And number two, you really have to use your time and energy very well. How about your profession and, and learning pharmacy? Why have you chosen this profession? Does it run in your family or how did, did it come from? Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, it runs in my family. Um, my father is a doctor, he's a general surgeon, and my mom is a dentist. Uh, and so when I was growing up, I was always uh, going to the hospital with them um, after school and, you know, playing with test tubes, um, <laughs> uh, running around in the blood bank. <laughs> Those were the times when I think hospitals weren't monitored so well. So I was a kid, you know, running around in the hospital. And basically, I really liked um, what they were doing, but I knew that I didn't want to work in the hospital. So I said, I will do something related to health and I will do something that I can do research on pharmacy. My mother actually recommended. She said, well, why don't you, you know, check out faculty of pharmacy, see how you like it. I wrote three different schools of pharmacy in Ankara and uh, I got into Hacettepe, which was the highest, of course. I'm really happy with the choice that I made. But during uh, the time that I was a student, and uh, when the labs, the practical courses started, I was very interested in pharmaceutical technology because in pharmaceutical technology, we were actually preparing and formulating the real, you know, medicines that people are using, like the, the real uh, extracts, uh, solutions, suspensions, emulsions. Um, and it was really very interesting for me because I thought that this is the real life. I mean, this is what the, the pharmacies are selling and this is what the patients are using. And basically the pharmaceutical technology discipline was uh, the key instrument in turning uh, an active molecule uh, into a final product. So I was so interested in this. When I graduated, first I said, okay, uh, I'll just take a little break, uh, get my driving license. I didn't have it yet. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to do yet, uh, definitely. But I knew that I didn't want to open a pharmacy store. And for me, that was a too static uh, job to do. In September, went back to school to get my diploma. And I visited some of the professors and 
I found myself entering the MSc exams, the master's exams, to enroll as a postgraduate student in the in the faculty. And this is how I started my, my academic life after that. For a long time, uh, during my master's thesis and also during my PhD thesis, at the end of my thesis, I always wanted to go to the pharmaceutical industry. This was the main goal for me. But um, during my PhD, I had the opportunity to work in a joint PhD thesis with University of Paris. And the topic was amphiphilic cyclodextrins for nanoparticle preparation. And, and this was when I first came into contact with cyclodextrins. I see. And I was, was going to ask about your first interactions with psychodextrins. Why was this the topic that you chose then? Yeah, oh, that's a very good question. My supervisor changed. Uh, it, it was uh, Attila Hunjal. And one day he called me to his office. He said, um, Eram, uh, you will uh, do your PhD together with Paris. Are you okay with this? I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> of course, Paris. <laughs> Who wouldn't be okay? And then he said, well, okay, then you will be working on cyclodextrins uh, and how to prepare cyclodextrins into nanoparticles. And I said, hmm, okay, because I was leading literature on nanotechnology and nanocarriers, and they were becoming more and more prominent. And also they had very promising capabilities for drug delivery. So I was happy about that. And then in our department, um, there was another professor, Sevda Chanel. She had um, worked with cyclodextrins previously. And so she had she gave me this file of literature about cyclodextrins. And those were the times when you couldn't actually download papers online. You went to the library and you took the photocopies. My age is coming now into light, but well, <laughs> like that in the 90s. So basically she gave me this folder with a lot of literature and I started reading them. They were so interesting. Basically, this molecule, which is uh, completely apolar, hydrophobic inside, but very hydrophilic outside. It's like a, you know, a yin-yang structure. Uh, so it's really, it's like, a. it was actually, it reminded me of a spaceship which I was so interested when I was a kid. I was a very nerdy kid, basically interested in UFOs and everything. And, you know, this torus shape of the cyclodextrin was reminding me of the UFOs and uh, taking people inside and, you know, carrying them somewhere else, whatever. And so th that was the first time that I came into contact. I, I now know that after you pronounce that I'm butchering the name, but I'll still try to do it again. So Hajetep University? Hajetep. Okay, so you've been there for a long time. What is the, the reason for the strong connection? Is it Ankara or is it the university? I, what keeps me there is the university itself and the faculty and the department, of course, because all three are number one in their field. Hacettepe is the number one health university in Turkey, uh, and it has a lot of international collaborations. It has two campuses. It has a very good techno park. It has a lot of opportunities and as pharmacists and as pharmaceutical technologists, we need the clinical input to come up with um, successful formulations. And so we have a very good interaction with the clinicians there as well. That was where my life actually, you know, developed. I like my life there. I'm happy. Were you never tempted to, to leave the academia? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was very, very tempted. Uh, the whole period during my PhD and Afterwards, as well, I was very interested in going to the pharmaceutical industry. I wanted to work as product manager or medical manager or, or 
R&D. So towards the end of my PhD, I was talking to my supervisor, Attila Hanjal, and he said, okay, well, if you're interested in pharmaceutical industry, let's send your CV to four or five major companies, see what they think about this. So we sent it. Of course, they called me to interviews right away. Uh, but when I was speaking to them, when I was speaking to the heads of departments uh, or managers, I realized that actually I had to uh, put my PhD and put everything that I invested in myself, like the scientific papers. And um, I already had invited lectures during that time. All that I had to put in my pocket and leave it behind and start from zero ground, basically. And that was not so uh, good for me. I didn't feel comfortable doing that because then I thought then I have to, you know, uh, zero down everything that I built until then. Well, you can always work with pharmaceutical industry, but you can work as a consultant. Uh, you can stay at the academy, you can continue your work, and then you can actually uh, combine your knowledge uh, with the industry uh, when you're in academy. And that sounded very good to me. <laughs> Honestly, this is what makes me the most happy in my life, going into new projects, working towards new, new goals, trying different things is very, very appealing for me. And I didn't want to leave that all behind. Instead of leaving all behind, you created, a, I don't know, a new balance for yourself when you can right. pick what you like within the industry and still support it, but, but do not give up the academic research that you that you love so much. So tell us about your private venture then, Biogalanica. What, what is it when you started? What are you doing there? Uh, so I founded it in during the pandemic, basically. Uh, there were the lockdowns at that time. Before that, um, I was the general manager and the executive board uh, chair for the Technology Transfer Center of my university. So the Technology Transfer Center itself is a company. I learned everything about uh, balancing budgets, uh, taxes, the staff, you know, different aspects of life. And I always had finding my own company in my mind. Uh, and after this experience, I was now more realistic uh, and I knew how to actually make yearly plans and goals. During the pandemic, I got, uh, I applied to the Hacettepe University Techno Park to join the, the incubation center, which is the the, the very uh, the joint uh, lab for very small uh, startup companies. So I had a research project in mind that was about nanomedicines as well. Um, so in the company, what I'm doing is I am, uh, there are three actually legs of the company. And one of them is research and development. I actually undertake uh, work packages of pharmaceutical companies that they are unable to perform in their own facilities um, if they don't have the infrastructure or if they don't have the know-how. So this is basically practical experimental work, including animal studies, cell culture studies, and formulation development studies. Uh, then there is the training part uh, where I train the pharmaceutical industry in specific topics, uh, either at the company that invites me or as an online education course. And the, the other one is consultancy where I provide expert opinion uh, on, on regulatory dossiers, bioequivalence studies uh, and formulation development studies for, for pharmaceutical companies. Actually, what I'm doing in the company is not too far away from what I'm doing in my daily life. And I'm using my, my expertise and my 
uh, know-how to run these projects. Uh, so the company is very actually uh, giving me freedom, also giving me the opportunity to hire really talented PhD students or postdocs um, that can work for the company as well. Uh, it's also inside the university. Uh, so it's, it's a very good opportunity for me, I think. I'm really happy that uh, I have founded the company. And, and just came to my mind as you were talking, it still impresses me how, how much different types of works you can undertake at the same time. Do you have an internal preference of joy? I mean, you teach, you do business, do you, you do research. Which is it that you enjoy most among all these? Um, I can name two different things for that. One of them is uh, when I see one of my PhD students or MSc students thrive, you know, become very successful, uh, join the professional life as researchers or industrials. Uh, I really feel very happy. I think that the main responsibility of an academic is basically to support people in their career, especially in their scientific career. So this is one thing that makes me very happy. And the second thing is research, of course. Supporting people also goes into business. So I, I guess you practice it as a as a company leader as well as, yeah. as a as a professor. So yeah. Yeah. so that kind of knowledge can serve you in, in both areas. That's right. What do you do Aram, when you're not in the lab in your free time? You mentioned hobbies in the very beginning. What what are these? Uh, I like exercising and sports a lot. Uh, so so I exercise regularly. I take uh, walks uh, in the nature. I read a lot. I like watching movies, also trying new cuisines, trying new food. Oh. I love cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, there's a saying that uh, the faculty of pharmacy, pharmaceutical technologists are the best cooks because, you know, flavor is our job. Uh, getting the texture right is our job. And so this is what we do in cooking as well. So uh, cooking is one of my hobbies as well. I love learning new recipes and traveling, of course. Let's talk a little bit about your your research. So you're very active in, in innovative formulations. What are currently the, the topics in this field or, or the recent discoveries that you're very excited about? I have two main focus areas. The one of them is nanotechnology and targeted drug delivery. And in targeting, uh, when I first started my PhD, basically the targeting was being performed by only the size of the nanoparticles. Like when you're in the nano field, nanoscale, uh, you, your drug delivery formulation can benefit from enhanced permeation and retention effect, which is an effect that uh, makes your nanoparticles accumulate in either tumors or inflammation sites in the body. So if you want to develop a formulation against uh, a cancer type or against an inflammatory disease, being at the nanoscale is a very important, of course, uh, benefit. But then the targeting actually evolved. Surface modifications started and then uh, active targeting started. Um, and now uh, in our recent projects, we're working with actively targeted nanoparticles using rituximab, for example, or nivolumab as a targeting agent for these nanoparticles. And we also carry active pharmaceutical in ingredients inside the nanoparticles to the tumor or the inflammation site. And the other one is printing. I think 3D printing is the future of the 
pharmaceutical industry, um, especially in situations where there are drug shortages um, or where there are extraordinary um, circumstances, such as pandemics, for example, where actually access to medicines was very limited. Uh, all the raw material to the pharmaceutical industry was coming from China and India. And for a certain period of time, that was impossible to actually deliver them to uh, Turkey, for example. So the pharmaceutical industry got very badly hit because of that. Uh, or in situations of regional wars, for example, like we are living very close by to the Russia-Ukraine war. And again, there is a uh, difficulty in um, importing uh, or exporting uh, active ingredients or excipients for the pharmaceutical industry. So local, uh, adaptive and um, flexible and uh, personalized manufacturing is very important in our field. And printing actually gives us this opportunity because then uh, you can manufacture a dose uh, adjusted for a certain population or a certain person. You can produce 20 tablets for one person with the specific dose or with the specific combination that they need, you know. Um, and in our lab, we have a very good printing laboratory now. Uh, I hope that you will have the chance to visit it as well in different opportunities in the future. Uh, we have a lot of different printers and extruders and we can print drug eluting implants, tablets, or, or edible films, edible papers, or we can print on contact lenses and we can print on breast implants. So these are really very promising and flexible approaches. And I think uh, they have a great potential of future in them. And for all these uh, projects, we generally try to use cyclodextrin somewhere in the project and because the cyclodextrin is actually a very uh, amazing excipient, so multifunctional and so diverse. So it helps us in both printing and also in nanotechnology. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, how do you implement the cyclodextrin technology into all these fields? Do you also use that in the printing or yeah. more in the nanotechnology? In the nanotechnology, we use it as base material. We prepare the nanoparticles from the cyclodextrins. And of course, you know, as I know very well, that cyclodextrins are biologically active. They have very good intrinsic apoptotic effect on cancer cells, like they're able to kill cancer cells because of their affinity to the membrane cholesterol. And so even if there is no drug in it, even if there is no active pharmaceutical ingredient, the nanoparticle itself is basically having a pharmacological effect in the body. And that's why we're using proteomics and metabolomics to measure that effect at the molecular level. So this is very, very interesting and very promising, especially in the treatment of viral infections and viral cancers, other infectious diseases, uh, and also drug-resistant cancers. Uh, so Cyclodextrins, uh, especially amphiphilic cyclodextrins and cyclodextrin polymers, are uh, basic materials for the nanocarriers that we're using. Uh, for the uh, printing technologies, um, cyclodextrins can have two different applications. One of them is you have to keep the, the active pharmaceutical molecule in stable form while you're printing it. And when we're printing, most of the printing techniques are thermal. So um, the, the temperature goes up to high. The minimum temperature is 60, 70 degrees, even higher. So therefore, you have to really stabilize the, the active ingredient. And, or it can be used as an excipient to solubilize the, the active ingredient uh, from the 3D printed implant, for example. So depending on the different type of cyclodextrin, 
they can have different functions in both focus points, I think, in both nanotechnology and printing. If you think back on your career and all the things that you have done, is there any specific project or accomplishment that you're particularly proud of? I think the targeted cyclodextrin nanoparticle projects, all of them are very important for me because during those projects, we were able to actually um, compare these uh, cyclodextrin nanoparticles with the commercial product that is being used in the clinics. Now, most of these commercial products have a lot of side effects. So basically, um, the patient either undergoes severe side effects. Sometimes the patient cannot even continue with the chemotherapy. And therefore, uh, when you are able to administer these uh, drugs inside the cyclodextrin nanoparticle in a targeted form with a lower dose, basically the antitumoral efficacy is way higher than the commercial product, which is in the market, and the side effects are very, very low. And so this is one of the biggest highlights, I think, for me, and I continue working on that field. Certainly, this this kind of novel nanotechnology concepts clearly will find their way into to practical applications. I'm also confident about that. Finally, I have a question that I'm asking all the guests. So if you could have dinner with a, with a historical figure that are alive or a celebrity, who would you pick and why? That's a very good question. <laughs> I would pick Marie Curie because <laughs> I would ask the questions that you asked me. Like, how did you balance home life and all those hours of uh, experiments and research? And uh, what was it like? All that self-sacrifice, basically. What what drove her? Um, I really admire her as a female scientist. Uh, and so I would really love to chat with her, get to know her better. Apparently, you're not the only one with, with that opinion. Of course, uh, yeah. we have been yeah past a few interviews, and uh, maybe we should we should organize a group dinner with Marie Curie. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that would be a great idea. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed uh, the most recent episode of Carbohydrate Chronicles today, delivered to you by Carbohydrate. We talked with Erin Villansoy, expert in pharmaceutical technology from from Hajitepe University and uh, the kind of the fresh company Biogalanica. My main take home message from our conversation with Erin is that it's it's important to manage time well, especially if you have a lot of activities to prioritize and um, uh, but it's also crucial to build a good team around you and and rely on them. And these kind of skills do not come to us naturally. We need to make a lot of efforts to to gain them and to practice but but on the long term they they certainly pay off. We should also work on finding our own way in our works and kind of shape the work environment we have to accommodate with our with our dreams. So I'm really grateful for you being with us today, Aram. I really loved our conversation, especially since we haven't met for a while in person, but I really hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much again. Thank you again for this opportunity. And I wish you a wonderful week and a wonderful year ahead. And thank you again for inviting me. Next week in the Carbohydrate Chronicles, we'll talk with Alan Bluey, head of Biopharma Unit and Global Market Manager at Rocket, who will help us understand the market position and commercial future of sugars and cyclodextrins. Your host was Tomas Schoheide from Carbohyde. I hope you'll join me in our next episode too. See you in one week. Goodbye.